Welcome to NGA Notable Lectures, a podcast offering a deeper understanding of all things artistic. When the National Gallery of Art opened in 1941, only 10 American paintings were on view. Almost all were portraits. Of these, only one was of a woman, the regal Catherine Brass Yates by Gilbert Stuart. Elegantly dressed in white silk, Mrs. Yates represents the essence of elite society in America following the Revolution. Seventy-five years later, another portrait of a woman in white has joined the collection. Speaking at the second annual John Wilmerding Symposium on American Art, held on March 23, 2018, at the National Gallery of Art, Nancy Anderson shares how Archibald John Motley Jr.'s moving portrait of his grandmother, Emily Sims Motley, a former slave, speaks to a very different American story. The John Wilmerding Symposium on American Art is made possible by a grant from the Walton Family Foundation. Last spring, when the planning for today's program began, the curators in the National Gallery's modern art department had begun to install in East Building Galleries an exhibition that set in conversation a fascinating group of works from the permanent collection focused in large part on the rapidly expanding definition of portraiture. Titled Bodies of Work, the installation, which is still on view, includes these remarkable works by Glenn Ligon, Byron Kim, and Janine Antoni. One of the great joys of working in a museum is that unlike most visitors, we can return to paintings, return to installations, many times over time. Early in the morning, alone, late in the day, when pick-me-up is required, or during the day, anonymously, when watching others respond to works of art is socially acceptable. As it turned out, I was not the only person intrigued by the provocative conversation regarding portraiture that had been set in motion in the East Building's modern galleries. Molly Donovan, who conceived the installation, tells the story of walking through the galleries one day and discovering Glenn Ligon taking a selfie in front of the panel of Byron Kim's work that reproduces Glenn's skin tone. He was, in other words, taking a photograph of himself in front of his own portrait created by his close friend, Byron Kim. Later today, we will all have the privilege of listening as Molly engages Glenn, Byron, and Janine in what will surely be an illuminating conversation about modern portraiture. When I learned about Molly's chance encounter, I was, once again, envious of my colleagues in the modern art department who have the opportunity to question, to engage in conversation, the artists whose works they are acquiring and exhibiting. As a curator of what is sometimes called the historic collection, that is of works created primarily before World War II, I obviously cannot converse with artists who are no longer living. Denied such conversations, but intrigued by the evolution of the historic American portrait collection at the National Gallery, my colleagues and I decided that perhaps the best way to begin today's program would be at the beginning. When did the first American portrait enter the National Gallery's collection? Who was the artist? 
who was the sitter. When the National Gallery of Art opened in 1941, the collection included just 10 American paintings. All were portraits. Here is what I've come to think of as the original cast, the 10 paintings that constituted the American collection at the opening bell. As you might expect, the group includes founding fathers, well-to-do merchants, politicians, and celebrated military figures. Given by Andrew W. Mellon, founder of the museum, the paintings offer numerous tempting avenues of inquiry. Edward Savage's group portrait of the Washington family, for example, includes the only image of an African-American, likely a composite of several enslaved men who served Washington over many years. Similarly, Benjamin West's full-length portrait of Colonel Guy Johnson includes the only Native American images in the group. There are two portraits of George Washington, not surprising. A bit more puzzling are the two portraits of John Randolph, a member of Congress from Virginia who was painted as a young man by Gilbert Stuart and near the end of his life by Chester Harding. Arguably the finest painting in the group is Gilbert Stuart's portrait of Catherine Brass Yates. Aside from Martha Washington and her granddaughter, the only woman included in the original 10. I've come to think of her as the founding mother of the collection, a regal but take no prisoners woman. <laughs> she was present at the creation when Franklin Roosevelt presided over the opening festivities in 1941, and she has remained on view ever since. Here you see her bravely attempting to hold an entire wall, along with, on the right, another member of the Yates family, also by Gilbert Stuart. The doors between the two paintings were closed in 1941 because the space behind them was empty and unfinished. Today, the same space is filled with Thomas Cole's series, The Voyage of Life. Catherine, however, still reigns just one gallery away. Hung on the sight line, she is still the first portrait of a woman visitors see when they enter the American galleries. Stewart's portrait of Catherine Yates has long been celebrated as a technical tour de force, a lesson in the tonal range of a single color, white. Critics noted her direct gaze, one described it as withering, and especially her hands engaged in what was invariably described as women's work. Like many others, I'm a longtime admirer of Stuart's technical expertise on full display in his portrait of Catherine Yates. But my interest in the painting took a different turn recently when, unexpectedly, we were given the opportunity to acquire another portrait of a woman in white. This is Archibald Motley's portrait of his grandmother, Emily Motley, completed in 1922. The acquisition process at the National Gallery is appropriately deliberate for the museum does not deaccession works of art. Thus, acquisition decisions are forever decisions. 
By acquiring a work of art, the museum makes a commitment to exhibit, to conserve, and to make research materials related to the object available to scholars and to the public. When the possibility of acquiring the portrait by Motley became a reality, a number of questions quickly emerged, many related to the context in which the painting would be shown. Preparing to address those questions, I went on a walking tour of the American Galleries early one morning, intent on tallying the number of portraits of women on view. I was immediately met at the entrance to the American Galleries by Catherine Yates, whose portrait prompted a narrower question. How many portraits of women in white were on view in the American Galleries? Surprisingly, the answer was many. The second woman in white to join the collection came just two years after the museum opened. She was Joanna Heffernan, the subject of Whistler's Symphony in White, number one, The White Girl. Joining the group at surprisingly regular intervals, the dates below the images mark the years the paintings entered the collection, were portraits by Thomas Sully, Amai Phillips, um, more works by Gilbert Stewart, Frank Weston Benson, George Bellows, Winslow Homer, and John Singer Sargent. With the exception of The Sargent, a work from the Corcoran Collection, all of these portraits came to the National Gallery as gifts from private individuals. Except for Benson's portrait of his wife, all are currently on view in the American Galleries. Like the founding group of 10, this roster offers many tempting avenues for further inquiry. Impressive as the group is, however, the most transformative addition to the museum's collection of portraits by women, many in white, came very recently with the addition of a number of exceptional paintings from the Corcoran collection. Nowhere is this change more apparent than in the final gallery in the American suite, the gallery in which paintings by George Bellows, Edward Hopper, Robert Henry, John Sloan, and other members of the Ashcan School were traditionally on view. As plans for the reinstallation of the refurbished East Building began to take shape in 2014, a proposal was made to move these works, often described as early modern, from the West Building to a new set of galleries in the East Building, where they might join a broader narrative devoted to the advent of modernism. When all agreed that such a change was highly desirable, the West Building gallery in which the early modern works had long been exhibited became available for reinstallation. An entirely new chapter in the history of American art could be told, and that chapter was about women. In 1943, Chester Dale gave the National Gallery one of William Merritt Chase's finest paintings, The Friendly Call, a view of Chase's studio with the artist's wife on the right, conversing with an unidentified guest among some of the most beautiful pillows in all of American art. The painting has long been a favorite with visitors and is always on view, but it lacked appropriate context. 
Context came when the Corcoran's collection of works by a group of artists often described as the Boston School joined the National Gallery's collection. Loosely aligned, a number of the artists associated with the Boston School found their inspiration in the works of Vermeer in his paintings of domestic interiors. The American translation of this subject produced a fascinating body of work, images of women, most often women of privilege, in beautifully appointed and symbolically resonant domestic interiors. Chase's friendly call, joined by eight paintings from the Corcoran Collection, now had context. For the first time, exceptional works by Daniel Garber, Gary Melchers, William Paxton, and others were on view at the National Gallery. With one exception, the identities of all the women in these paintings are known. They are wives, daughters, sisters, cousins. They are, for the most part, family. Aside from William Paxton's housemaid, they are also, as noted earlier, women of privilege. Although it is useful to recall that at the time these paintings were completed, none of these privileged women could vote. Shortly after we finished reinstalling the gallery in which these paintings now hang, the possibility of acquiring Archibald Motley's portrait of his grandmother became a reality. And that's when the conversation about portraits of women in white became even more interesting. Because of the generosity of the Motley family, with whom the portrait had remained since it was completed in 1922, we were permitted to exhibit the painting in our galleries while we sought funding for the purchase. We hung the painting among the newly installed images of women opposite Cecilia Bowe's portrait of her cousin, Sarah. As it turned out, the Bow and Motley paintings were completed within months of one another in 1921 and 1922. Both are stunning demonstrations of the nuance available within a single color. It is, however, the painting by Motley that is the transformative work. For, as you have undoubtedly noticed well before now, all of the remarkable portraits of women in white that I have shown are of women who are white. Emily Motley brings a very different life story to the conversation. Emily Motley was born enslaved in 1842 in the South. She lived through the Civil War as a slave and was freed following the conflict. She married and with her husband began a family. Eventually, she accompanied her son, Archibald Motley Sr., north to Chicago, where he had secured a position as a Pullman porter. Her grandson, Archibald Motley Jr., the artist, grew up in Chicago, where he attended a public high school and in 1918 graduated from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Academically trained, he aspired to be a portrait painter, but commissions were few. 
To make ends meet, he undertook a variety of jobs, including working alongside his father on the railroad. The canvas on which he would later paint the portrait of his grandmother was cut from a laundry bag that he later confessed he had stolen from the Wolverine, a train that regularly traveled between Chicago and Detroit. In 1919, one year after Motley had graduated from art school, George Bellows came to Chicago to teach what was, in effect, a master class in portraiture at the School of the Art Institute. Motley re-enrolled in order to take Bellows' class. While in Chicago, Bellows met and became friends with Mary Brown Tyler, an elderly patron of the arts. He painted three portraits of her, here are two, begun and perhaps completed while in Chicago and while Motley enroll, was enrolled in his class. For the first of the portraits, Mrs. Tyler wore a deep purple silk gown. In the second, at Bellow's request, she posed in the dress she had worn on her wedding day, 56 years earlier. Clearly, Bellows lavished great care on the elaborate dresses, but it is his sympathetic rendering of the elderly face that gives the painting such depth. It is unclear when Motley began painting his portrait of his elderly grandmother, but in comparing an earlier portrait of his mother on the left with the slightly later portrait of his grandmother, it is clear that Bellow's influence on Motley was profound. The two paintings were completed less than three years apart. A quick comparison of the hands alone in both portraits testifies to the strides Motley had made in a relatively brief period of time. I've seen no document confirming that Motley chose to paint his grandmother's portrait following his encounter with Bellow's but evidence embedded in the painting itself seems compelling. We now know the location of the plantation on which Emily Motley served as a house slave and the name of the family that set her free following the Civil War. Going forward, we will pursue all the historical leads we can find and learn, I hope, much more about this extraordinary woman who was 80 years old when her grandson painted her portrait and who lived to be 102. I'm very pleased to note that the gallery completed the acquisition of the painting last month. Motley's portrait of his grandmother is now part of the National Gallery's permanent collection, part of the nation's collection. I'm also pleased that these two women, whose hands alone tell remarkable stories, are paired, Catherine Brass Yates at the entrance to the American Galleries and Emily Motley, now at the exit. This has been a National Gallery of Art podcast.